As has been said, we are starting this new series. Could call it a fifth G, but in no way in comparison to the four Gs, more of a contrast to the four Gs. Gideon, someone who's small and weak and nothing. A bit like us. And in contrast to the great, glorious, good, gracious God that we've been looking at. We're going to see a, a case study, really, in this man over the next four weeks. And hopefully we will see some, again, who God is in his awesomeness. And how we, in our human frailty, need him. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we thank you so much that we can come openly, freely this morning to worship you, our creator God, our saving God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we pray this morning as we look at Gideon, as we see you at work through him, that we would see a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would be at work within our hearts. Help us to, to listen to your word, to respond in faith. Please give us your help. Please help me. Give me your power that I may speak your word in truth. And for your glory, we pray all these things. Amen. I can't cope. I can't do it. I don't know how. How do I conquer sin? I keep thinking unkind thoughts about my boss. Judgmental comments just spill out my mouth. I keep coveting my neighbor's house. I look at those unhelpful websites and I, I pass over the road when I go past homeless person. I can't defeat my sin. Will God forgive me? I can't cope with the struggle every day. That physical ailment in my body, the mental struggles in my mind. I can't cope with the amount of work that I have to do and the time I have to do it. I can't cope without having a job. Where will I get money to live? And when I go home, there is no one there to share my pain. I don't know how my non-Christian colleagues will ever come to faith. They're so hard and uninterested. When opportunity arises, I just stumble over my words or I don't even speak at all. I fear that they will just laugh at me. And then it comes to church. And I'm supposed to serve in some way, but how, where, in what way? I have no talent to play in the band. Standing at the front terrifies me. To teach the Bible, even to children, I don't know enough. I feel like a hypocrite when I walk through those doors. And how do I preach this sermon? I can't cope, and I need help. Any of those thoughts pass through your mind today, in recent weeks? Perhaps you are experiencing something in your life right now that you can't cope with and you cry out for help to God or even just to an empty room. I plea for mercy. 
Well, we've seen in our passage this morning, these Israelites are facing very difficult circumstances themselves, and they need help. They've been in the promised land for about 150 years so far, since Joshua took them in over the Jordan to possess the land. God has given them rest and peace, prosperity. They were together as one people. But if you know anything about the book of Judges, this time between entering the land and before they get their first king, Saul, you'll know that Israel goes through this repeated cycle of war and peace. And now is a time of war. We saw right at the beginning, verse 1, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They worshipped foreign gods, and so God gave them over to the Midianites. And we see their distress. Look down at verses 1 to 6. Imagine that you are a farmer in Israel, and you, you're tending your crops, ready to, for harvest. You check your potatoes and your cabbages. The apples are ripe. The blackberries are black. You get ready to pick it all, and then a huge storm comes in. Devastating winds and torrential rain, and it just destroys everything. The food's gone, nothing to sell, to market. Your livestock is dead. Your, your livelihood is threatened. Of course, there are many British farmers who've experienced this in recent years through floods in Britain. And the Israelites are experiencing something similar, not a natural disaster, but Midianites who've just come and ravaged the land, like a swarm of locusts we see here in verse 5. All their hard work completely wasted, and yet they knew it was going to happen. Seven years it had been going on. And then one year, they cry out to the Lord for help. It is such a sad situation for Israel. They were in the promised land. The prophet told them, verse 7, you've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. You've been given a new land, a rest, just as God promised to Abraham. It's all there for you. But now you've gone and messed it all up. And when God rescues them in Judges, they turn away and rebel again. And they keep doing this time and time again. They need a deliverer. God sends them a deliverer. He helps them. And so as we read through Judges, or a small part of it in the next four weeks, the big lessons, the big messages for us is, is about what we learn of God's deliverer. And what we learn about the way that God goes about delivering his people. Here they had sinned, they needed a deliverer. God sends his human deliverer, but even he or she, they're still human, they still sin. And throughout judges, they get worse and worse and worse. And it makes you long for a greater deliverer. It makes you long for a divine savior. It makes you long for the Messiah. It makes you long for Jesus. So as we read, we want to praise God because he does deliver his people. And if God can use a man like Gideon, to save his people, how much more amazing is his salvation through his son, Jesus. And so this morning, I want to encourage you from our passage that, that God delivers his people through weakness so that we will trust in his power. God delivers his people in weakness so we will trust him in his power.
within a short time. We can't go into all the detail of a wonderful story that we have before us, but let us firstly look at God delivering his people through weakness. God says he will deliver. How is he going to do it? Who will he use? Someone well-known, a current leader perhaps? No, he chooses this man, Gideon. Who? Gideon, son of Joash. You know him. Nope. What do we learn? Let's look down to verse 11. Remind ourselves. The angel of the Lord came, sat down under the yoke in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. From seeing Israel at large, we now zoom in to see this one man, an Israelite, and his problem. Gideon would usually be up on the mount, on the hills, threshing wheat with his big fork, getting the wheat, throwing it into the air. All the chaff would blow away, and the nice, healthy wheat would rest on the floor. Then we see him hiding in a wine press, a small enclosed place down near the house where it's safe, hiding from the Midianites in fear and yet the angel says the lord is with you mighty warrior is he really a mighty warrior well we go on and we read more of this guy and we see no he's not a mighty warrior i want to highlight three things just in the next few verses that show us Gideon's not a mighty warrior he's weak and insignificant and inadequate for the task first we see that he's a sinner just like all the other Israelites. He too has turned away from God. He bows down to the altar of Baal. He even has one in his father's back garden. The angel says, I'm going to be with you. God is with you. And Gideon says, no, he's not. He complains. Maybe he only half listened to the prophets in verses 7 to 10. And Gideon says, that, verse 13, Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us over to the Midianites. Gideon doesn't realize that the mess he's in is because of his and the people's sin. And he expects God to do things, to do whatever they want him to do. Just come and deliver us. We're not going to repent, but deliver us anyway. Second thing to highlight is within him himself, with his person, with his, his character, his skill. Despite Gideon's complaint, the Lord still wants to use him. And, and the angel of the Lord replies to him in verse 14. And he says, go, go in the strength you have. And save Israel from the Midian hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He's not a mighty warrior. Surely you've got it wrong, Lord. There's someone else you could use. A greater person, a, a leader of a tribe, maybe. He's timid and weak and fearful. We'll see later on, he's a terrible doubter. If God wants to save them from the Midianite armies, you've got to 
use someone fit for the task. We need a real mighty warrior. Well, I think the third thing we see is his weakness in what he's able to offer. Notice even though Gideon doesn't believe that God has got it right in choosing him, and we don't think that either, he's beginning to believe. And so he asks the angel of the Lord for a sign to prove that it is God who's calling him. And so look at verse 18. Gideon says, please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Gideon has gone and prepared a, a meal. Looks quite a nice meal, a pretty decent one. He goes and kills a goat. I've not tasted goat, but it's meat, so I guess it's tasty. He has enough bread to feed a small army. We might want to add some seasonal vegetables and some herbs on top, but, but what he has sounds a really good meal, a good offering to give to this man. But Gideon hasn't thought about who it is he's talking to. Is what he offers lawful? Is it right and appropriate for an Israelite to God? He's used to bringing offerings to Baal and just laying things before the altar. And so that's what he does here. A nice meal, a huge offering, done with good intentions. Not good enough. As we started our sermon, we were thinking of the the weaknesses within our own selves. Would God have chosen us to to bring salvation to the Israelites? We are weak. How can God even use anybody because they are sinful? Physical, mental weaknesses that stop us from doing things, that doubt, fear, the size of the problems are far too overwhelming. And whatever we do, whatever we offer, it's never enough. So why should God deliver? Why does he want to use Gideon in weakness because it's got nothing to do with him and it's got nothing to do with you or me as the angel of the Lord tells him God is going to use you because he is with you verse 16 Gideon questions his calling the Lord's answered I will be with you And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. As you see this back and forth between the angel of the Lord and Gideon, the calling, commissioning, and questions and doubts and fears, you might cast your mind back to, to Moses when he came near the bush that was burning. And God calls him to deliver the Israelites way back then out of Egypt. And he doubts and he worries and he fears and he questions But God says, I will be with you. It wasn't Moses that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. It was God. Although with Moses, he knew who was speaking to him. He took off his sandals. He was on holy ground. At this point, Gideon doesn't know who this angel of the Lord is. But he's about to find out. 
Look down at verse 20. What happens when he brings this offering? The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. So Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I'd seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. The angel of the Lord accepts the offering as a sacrifice and vanishes, proving that it is the Lord, it's God, God in man, appearing as man. And Gideon then says, he's seen the face of the Lord and he's terrified because you can't see the face of God and live. He should be dead. But the Lord, the God of heaven, speaks to Gideon by grace and says, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. There's peace made between the awesome holy God and this weak man, Gideon. Forgiveness. I am with you. For God to use Gideon to save the Israelites, he first needs to deliver Gideon himself. He has sin. And isn't this just a wonderful picture of the gospel, a wonderful insight into what happens at the cross how is it that god can help us that can god can deliver us how is it that he can care and and help us through life's difficulties it's because he has come jesus the god man has come and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice he has stood in place removing sin breaking down the barrier so that peace can be brought between God and humanity. Jesus became weak. He suffered at the hand of wicked people, dying on a cruel cross. A cross which is foolishness to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. But it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. As 1 Corinthians tells us, there can be peace with God because of Jesus. And God can be with us. The Holy Spirit is within those who trust in Christ. And we'll see next week that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon and helps him help the Israelites to get freedom from the Midianites. The Spirit of the Lord is a a regular main character throughout Judges. It is he who empowers the judge, the deliverer, to rescue the people. And so, friends, if you are a Christian, no matter what your struggles, what your circumstances, no matter what you face, you are not alone. The Lord is with you by his Spirit. Because there is peace between you and God through your faith in Jesus.
But before we can think about God helping us in our Christian life, we have to be in that place. We have to be at peace with God. We have to trust in Christ, the one, the only one who can take away our sin and make us right before God. I don't know all of you here this morning, but I ask, do you know that peace? If you do, it is a wonderful comfort, is it not? As we live our life in this world, we are not alone. For he is with us. We are weak, we fail, we face difficulties and circumstances that we can't cope with. But in Christ, we have everything. We know our weakness, but in our weakness, we look to his strength. Think of the Apostle Paul, a man who in 2 Corinthians talks about his weaknesses and struggles and failings and persecutions. And he says, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's so easy to focus on our weakness and for our weakness to overwhelm us and to consume us. But when we see Jesus in his power and his strength that is displayed in his own weakness at the cross, we can have confidence that he is with us. And so we can trust him. Trust in his power. Gideon has had this experience with the angel of the Lord and now God gives him a task. Verse 25. Let's read and remind ourselves of that again. Verse 25. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. If you remember, it's the Baal is part of the problem. The original problem is that they've been worshipping foreign gods. To them, God wasn't good enough. They needed more. They were seeking prosperity. They were seeking blessing and fertility by worshipping this foreign god, who is no god at all. And instead of getting life, they just got death. Death in the form of Midianite oppression. And now Gideon had to face a task of destroying this altar in his father's back garden in fear of what people will think. But this is it's not like Gideon. It's not his character. He's timid and shy. He's weak and young and insignificant. He's risking his life to do such a task. But yet he's seen the Lord. 
He knows that God is with him by his spirit, empowering him. And so he goes, still timid, still afraid. He does it at night, but he responds in faith. And so now we see the false God's altar is broken down. A new proper altar is built. A proper sacrifice to God is made. And the true God of heaven and earth, the Lord, is shown to be God. He is Lord. Baal is nothing in comparison. The problem has been dealt with, or at least it's beginning to be dealt with, and God has shown his power. He is the God of Israel. He is the one they should worship. He is the one they should be offering sacrifices to. He is the one who will go with Gideon to save you from the Midianites. We've seen God's power, and the people see that too. Let's read from verse 28. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, and the Asher pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They said, who did this? Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Verse 30, the people demanded, Joash, bring out your son, he must die. Verse 31, but Joash replied, to the hostile crowd, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Joash says, if Baal really is a god, then he can defend himself. And because Baal didn't defend himself, the Lord is proven that he is God. And Gideon has defeated Baal? Yes, but through the Lord's strength. It is the Lord who has won. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. When God is brought up against false gods, there's no contest. He always wins. And false gods are proved to be just that, false. And through faith, through trust in the power of God, Gideon has seen the greatness of the Lord. Seen the Lord work through weakness. And when we too turn from sin, turn from the other gods that we worship to serve our Lord Jesus, we see that he is the true God and that he is with us, his power. And so now Gideon, well, nor Gideon or the Israelites are, of course, completely out of trouble just yet. But they've had a glimpse. They've had a glimpse of what God can do through human frailty. What can God do in and through your weakness? There are masses and masses of examples that we can see of how God has used weakness to bring great salvation, great works of him, so that he may get the glory. We thought of Moses already. What about Abraham and Sarah? Too old to bear children, and yet they are the parents of all of God's people. Young David as he fates the giant Goliath. The apostle Peter, with his big mouth and his denials of Christ. How about through church history? Some you may know, some you may not know. John Bunyan, in prison. Charles Spurgeon, with depression. Amy Carmichael, with chronic illness. C.S. Lewis, with doubts of faith. Johnny Erickson Tarder, a quadriplegic. John Piper, with unusual slowness of reading. Elizabeth Elliot, 
with the death of three husbands. And we could talk about people here in this room. You've testified about it. In your weakness, in your struggle, in your difficulty, you've seen God's power. And you've trusted in it. And you praise God for it. So think back as we draw to a close. Think back over those difficulties in your life. Places where you need deliverance or you need help. Weaknesses that have been exposed. Questions of what God is doing. As we see our weakness and our need for a savior, we see Jesus. The one who has the power, who displayed the power in weakness at the cross. And so that in him, by his Holy Spirit, we can cope. We can cope with the inabilities and the the restrictions that we have within our bodies. Knowing that he has suffered greatly. He's even conquered death. We can fight sin that hounds us because we look to Jesus who was tempted in every way yet did not sin. And he helps us. We can speak out about our faith in Jesus, not being afraid of what people think because it's not about us. It's God who saves. It's he who takes the words, even the stumbling words we give, and he plants them in the hearts by his spirit. And we can come and we can face tasks. We can preach sermons like this and we can do it not in our own power, but in his. Because power is made perfect in weakness. We are not promised that we will come out of every trouble. We're not promised that we'll conquer every sin. We're not promised that we'll overcome every opposition. But we are promised that in Christ we can be confident that he will bring us through ultimately. At the end, through death, he will bring us to eternal life. And what do we do in response? We praise. Praise and glorify our God for his grace and his mercy, for his power. And so let's do that. Let's go. Let's ask God for his help. Trust in his strength that we may praise him in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that in the midst of the weakness and the struggles and the darkness and the pain and the questions, we can look to you, the Lord, God of heaven and earth, the Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has rescued us and ransomed us from death and sin, brought us into a relationship with you. And Lord, that in the midst of all our sorrows, you are with us and your power is at work within us. So help us, Lord. Help us when we cry out for help, our pleas for mercy, that we may see your strength in our weakness. That we may praise and glorify you, 
that those around us may give you glory, that the world outside may see that you are the true God, and they too would bow the knee before Jesus. Thank you that it is you, you alone, who can rescue. It's only you who can save. Amen.